It is so good to see each and every one of you. And of course, I also want to welcome our online community that is joining us today. And man, uh, God is doing some amazing things in the earth. Amen. If you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Judges 14 or or uh, scroll on your phone, however you need to do that, to Judges 14. We're in a series um, called The Ancient Path. And the, and the text for the series reads out of Jeremiah 6.16. And so while you're turning to Judges, I'm going to read the, the text for the series. But Jeremiah 6.16. Thus says the Lord... Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Anybody would like rest for your soul today? And so last week we began this series uh, talking about the ancient path. The ancient path begins with Jesus and his gospel. The ancient path begins with Jesus and his gospel. And so all you have to do today is turn on the TV and you're going to recognize the fact that we are in a massive culture war across the board. I just want to make a few statements about that. I want, I want to just say in brief, racial injustice is real. Racism is real. It's a real thing. And the Lord's church needs to be a voice on these issues. Amen? And Paul, Paul writes in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And I think it's imperative that the people of God actually lead the way in some of these discussions. King Jesus was the original freedom fighter. And I, I just want to say I'm proud of the fact today that we're a multiracial church, that we have multiracial staff and worship leaders, and that we and that and to me that typifies the fact of what the kingdom of God is going to be filled with. Okay. I mean, it's people from every tribe, every nation, and tongue. Amen. In heaven, there will be country worship. There will be soul worship. There's going to be all kinds of worship. There's going to just be beating on drums. You know, in the kingdom of God, see, we're not the only slice of the pie that's going to be in heaven. But here's the deal. Jesus and his gospel is the only truth that can comprehensively, holistically deal with the complexities that we face. I was thinking of this story during the Civil War, or actually at the end of the Civil War, when Abraham Lincoln met Harriet Tubman. And he, and see, people would say of Harriet Tubman, you, you're, the, you're the black Moses. And, 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 and I can't remember the exact verbiage, but Lincoln said, so you're the one who started all this fire. He said that to Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman said, actually, no, it was the preaching of John Rankin. 
The preaching of John Rankin during that time, he was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was talking about the inequalities of the day. I'm telling you, this gospel is a sword. And it is able to deal with all facets of life. And as we think about the past three months, there's been massive moves. And if you just kind of zoom out, there's been massive moves over religious freedom. And now racial injustice is at the forefront all the while a pandemic is going on. And this is just my opinion, but I think very soon we're probably going to see women's rights join this conversation. That's just purely my opinion. And I think whenever we embarked on 2020, nobody envisioned this <laughs> for 2020. I remember as a kid thinking the biggest thing for 2020 would be flying cars. But, but did you know that of those four things that I've mentioned, that Jesus and his gospel speaks to all four of those things? Jesus dealt with racism. He dealt with women's rights, disease, and formed the church. How so? He dealt with sin and darkness that drives it all. How did he deal with it? With his hands and his feet. See, our scripture for 2020 was John 2020, and it describes that moment whenever Jesus walked through the walls where the disciples were hiding, and, and they were at first terrified, but then they saw resurrected Jesus. But then as they began to put their hands in, in his hands and on his side, and they saw the wounds, they got a clear vision of Jesus. And beloved, we need to get a clear vision of Jesus. See, Jesus and his kingdom is not meant to be something separate and, and relegated only to Sunday. But Jesus' church is to be like a microcosm, if you will, of what heaven is to be, where there is, where there is a, a, a welcoming of all races, where, the, where there's provision for our healing, where there's, God speaks to all of these issues. He makes provision in the gospel. And so whenever I say that Jesus and his gospel really is the answer for us today, I'm telling you the truth. It is. There is nothing that can heal this nation quite like Jesus and his gospel. He was the original freedom fighter. He was the original one that this messed everything up for the religious elite. And so what I've been telling people is that the lights are, you look out at this world, you think things are just getting dark. Well, the truth is, is the lights are dimming and the stage is being set for Jesus and his gospel to be about to emerge on the scene. I said last week also that every preacher and follower of Christ should ask themselves, does the gospel I preach and live raise up and compel a generation to lay down their lives for Christ? The second question was, does the gospel I live and preach raise up and compel a generation to revival and their need for Christ? 
I'm telling you, the stage is being set. Anybody want to be a stagehand? <laughs> but this ancient internal path of Jesus and his gospel can heal a nation. Amen? So I want to take a moment just to pray over these things as a congregation. But as, as we pray, I would like for us to stand and, and it, just stand in a place of agreement, if you would. And, and in this prayer, what I want to pray over is that if, man, if, if there be any racism in our heart, that the Lord would deal with it. That we, there wouldn't be any denial of it. And I want to pray even over generational stuff, you know. And, but ultimately, want, we want to see this thing culminate with Jesus and his gospel shining forth. Amen. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we know that we are in confusing times. But we also know, Lord Jesus, that you have made a way. That your gospel has made a clear path. And so, Father, if there be any racism in, in our hearts or in our minds, a way of thinking, God, we ask, Lord, that you would reveal that to us. Now, Lord, for any generational sins committed, Lord, Lord, we want to stand in the gap and, and, Lord, just ask for forgiveness and we want to repent, Lord. And, Lord, we, we want to be agents of healing and restoration in all ways, in all forms. Father, we ask that you put your gospel on our lips and that we would proclaim the way of the kingdom. Lord Jesus, we ask, Father, for wisdom at this time. We ask, Father, for the wisdom of heaven to come and shape all of our words. And, Father, may your glory shine out of our lives in an amazing way. Lord Jesus, that we want to reflect you and your kingdom, God. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So last week, I spoke a prophetic word about planting, building, and growing, something that God had spoke to me. And I, I want to key off of that this morning because planting, building, and growing is actually a strategy for this season. When everyone wants to duck and hide, God is calling people to plant, build, and grow. And here's the number one thing that we can be planting right now. It's the title of today's word, Planting Godly Character. Planting Godly Character. And so if you got your Bible there in Judges 14, I want you to look at verse 5. We're going to be looking at the story of Samson. This ought to be fun. Verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah. Now Timnah was a lady. And he wanted to go see this lady. This was actually going to soon be his first wife. And so it reads, So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. 
though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Now, me, I would have been bragging all about that to everyone. I mean, I don't know about you. Verse 7. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside uh, to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave them some, and they also ate. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there. The young men used to do so. How many of you out there are bakers, cooks? You just love to cook. You're foodies, anybody? Okay, yes, yes. Very much myself. Now, my, my mom and my wife are both excellent cooks, and let me just say that before I go any further with this illustration. <laughs> But but my mom, the way that she cooks is kind of like mm, this, 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 presto. I mean, no measuring, total memory, you know, and it's amazing. And it's, you know, it's amazing, okay? Perfection emerges from the stove, right? Now, Erin, she, she, she likes to measure, and she's the type that wants things just right. But then all of a sudden, bam, presto, something amazing emerges. Amen? And so now here, here's what they have in common. If one thing is off, and as soon as they put it in their mouth, they know it immediately. And, they, and a lot of times they know what ingredient that they actually forgot if they, if they forget. Any of y'all cooks or bakers recognize that? Okay. I, on the other hand, am completely oblivious. I'm more like a caveman, you know, all food, eat, loved food, you know, oblivious. And Aaron's like, I left out this one thing. I'm like, I I couldn't tell. I inhaled what you just made me. And so so here's, here's the thing. Great cooks even know when an eighth of a teaspoon of something is left out. They know. And see, to cooks, small things matter a whole lot. A small thing can make, can make a world of difference. Small, seemingly insignificant compromises in our character, a left-out ingredient may fool a lot of people for a long time, but not God, the master chef. It will always get revealed. And Jesus even speaks to this in Luke 16. He says, he who is faithful in a little thing will be faithful in much, but he who is unfaithful in a little thing is also unfaithful in much, right? See, here's the thing. Your character will shape the story of your life. And see, here's the big idea this morning is your character is the prophet of your future. Your character is the prophet of your future. You see, like when we look at someone like Samson and the story of his life, what, what's, what everyone remembers is Delilah. You know, we remember Samson and Delilah, right? And that destructive relationship. But here's the deal. That's how the story actually ends. It's not where it begins. And you can actually read the story of his life in four chapters. 
and certain events of his life are highlighted. But what we can glance over is the fact that he was a judge of Israel for 20 years. See, there was probably a lot of good that he did that didn't make the book. That's kind of a bummer a little bit. And if you were to sum up the days mentioned in his life, just the days that were mentioned, it would probably total up to a few weeks. The scary part of it is that few weeks of his life defined him. See, a few bad character moments can destroy a reputation you've been trying to build for years. You might have been heading in the right direction for years, but one moment, and people will say, remember that guy? Mm -hmm. See, here's the thing about Samson. There was a massive call of God on his life. See, an angel actually appeared to his mother and said that you are going to have a son. He's going to be a deliverer. He's going to be amazing. He's going to be filled with complete awesomeness, you know. They spoke over him about his calling. So just back up to Judges 13 and verse 5. And this is the conversation between the angel and his mother. Y'all remember anybody else who had an angel come and visit the mom? Yes. Okay, so we're talking, this is a big deal. When an angel comes to see the mom, that's a big deal. I just want to put that out there. And so she had been barren up until this moment. Verse 5, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And so this, this is what we need to pay attention to. That's a small thing that we can overlook. But right here, Samson was to be a Nazarite from birth. Now here's the thing. It, Numbers chapter 6 describes what's called the vow of the Nazarite. And so to be a Nazarite wasn't like a change of nationality. It was actually a vow you would make uh, to God. And in this vow, you were to, to devote yourself wholly to the Lord. And there were three requirements. No wine, no haircut, and no touching of the dead. Those were the three requirements. No wine, no haircut, no touching of the dead. But that was to be a season of time that a person was to embrace. It wasn't meant to be well, it wasn't originally designed to be long-term, but the Lord spoke over Samson. This is going to be your whole life, Samson. Okay? And so as a Nazarite, as a person wholly devoted to the Lord, he would be a great deliverer. And then by the time we get to verse 5 of Judges 14, we start to see that call of God manifest on his life. Okay? So let's just go to verse 5 of Judges 14. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as he would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father and mother what he had just done. And so here's the deal. A lion comes to attack him and the spirit of God comes on him. 
And so this is a picture of a young man stepping into his destiny. He's coming of age. This was a defining moment for him. If you go back to verse four, you'll see that God actually orchestrated all of these events. God was setting him up for success. Isn't God good? That God, see, God had positioned him for success. And see, we don't, and see, whenever it comes to the calling of God over your life, it's not like you have to make things happen because God is so faithful to perform his word over your life that he will be the one to actually orchestrate all of the events. You don't have to be a master manipulator to get things rolling for yourself. You can actually trust God with your call. And that's what was happening with Samson because, dude, he, was getting totally set up by God to be that deliverer that the nation of Israel needed. Now, verse 7. Then he went down to talk with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, that place of his victory. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. And he took some of it in his hands and went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them and they also ate, but he did not tell them that he had taken honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman and Samson gave a great feast there. So the three things about the vow of the Nazarite, no haircut, no wine, no touching of dead things. Okay, his parents were raising him up to be a Nazarite according to the instruction of the angel. As a matter of fact, his parents joined him in that call. They also embraced the three things. And so after he kills the lion, he goes and talks to the woman, a Philistine, which was also a little bit of a no-no, comes back and finds honey in the carcass, a dead thing, a lion. He found something sweet inside something that was dead. And he hides it from his parents. This small thing, this small moment, at the moment of his calling, when God came upon him mightily, he goes away and he comes back, revisits that place of victory, and he finds something sweet inside a dead thing. This moment is prophesying what's about to happen in his life. This little thing of taking the honeycomb and the honey and eating it, and not only him eating it, but then handing it to his parents. He actually, un them being unknowingly, they were breaking their vow too, though they didn't know it. This moment prophesies the journey he's on. And we're going to pick this up from the wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 5. Let me just read this to you. Just, just, just let this hit you. Let it roll over you. Verse 3, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end is, as, is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. She ste her steps lay hold of hell. This proverb illustrates, prophesies of Samson's life. 
just a little bit of honey. And it was leading him to his death. An insignificant moment was prophesying his future. This breaking of his vows, the breaking of character. See, to be a Nazarite, he fully knew what this meant. But I've been around gifted people a lot of times that they get so gifted that they feel like the common rules don't apply to them. Your character is the prophet of your future. I'm going to give you two truths to, uh, to refine your character. Number one, the power of the mirror. Two truths to refine your character. Number one is the power of the mirror. James chapter 1, verse 21 says this, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow, uh, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. See, Samson had a powerful word implanted into his life. There was actually a word over his life before he was even conceived. A powerful word was over his life, but he became a forgetful hearer and his own desires got the best of him. I, I, I talk about this particular issue a lot with worship teams. And, I, and I'll tell you why. Because with worship teams, my experience of being on and leading minute or worship teams over the past 20 years, they are the most susceptible to this reality. They can come in and have a great moment of worship and explosive time and people are cheering and going, yeah, go, woo. And and it's so easy to take those great moments of worship and interpret those great moments of worship as God's blessing over all of your character choices. And the reason I bring this up is not to scare them, but to protect them. Because what will happen is if we are not careful, if we're not sober-minded about our character choices, that it will lead a person to a place what the scriptures also call is double-mindedness. Let me skip to that scripture real quick. James 4, 8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-mindedness is actually the foundation of hypocrisy. With one mind, you serve God, and with the other mind, you serve yourself. I remember several years ago having this experience One of the worship leaders, I'm telling you what, this guy, whenever he led worship, you thought you had your, like Richard Marks was leading. I mean, it was awesome. Highly gifted, highly talented individual. And we were running multiple services. Man, it it was just amazing. I was like, who's leading this week? Oh, is it him? Yeah, okay. I'll be there for sure. You know, it was, I mean, he was that kind of talent. 
What we didn't know is in between services, he was smoking pot. Okay? Real church life, right? See, what, ha- what happened was, is that person, be- he-, he began to embrace double-mindedness. That on the one hand, he would serve God and receive, oh, yay, and take that as license about every other choice in his life. See, hiding, hiding sin and hiding the compromised areas of your character always sets you up for a great fall. And after about 25 years of doing ministry, I can promise you it always catches up with you sooner or later. See, when you walk in double-mindedness long enough, you, you become blind to who you are. And so when, when Samson eventually meets up with Delilah, he, he remember the story, he eventually reveals the secret of his strength, his long hair. And so because he was arrogant, he wasn't protecting the vows because he wasn't doing the right thing regarding his vows. He, he, he lifts back the veil and shares where his strength comes from. And it's a, just another character compromise. But this time, his blindness caught up to him. And the Philistines gouged out his eyes, and his spiritual blindness gave way to physical blindness. And see, we got to remember the power of the mirror here. Somewhere along the way, Samson stopped looking in the mirror. See, the Word of God is to be a mirror to us. It's not, that, it's not that I just read it for a history lesson, but that as I read it, that it reads me. That I don't judge whether or not is God cool with me today based upon my feelings, but that as I read his word, that I let it reflect back on me. And I, and I actually allow him to say, no, son, that's a bad idea. I'll read it and let it call me out. A spouse or a friend oftentimes needs to be that mirror to you. That spouse, you just say, do you see what I'm seeing? Honey, you're crazy. No, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you are. You need a friend or a spouse or someone to reflect back to you. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? You know? But, the, but, you know, and here's one that we don't like. Sometimes a good mirror is our critics. I don't always like that. Sometimes our critics have a good dose of wisdom for us. And maybe, just maybe, they have the courage to say what your loved ones won't say. <laughs> Amen. Here's the second one. The second truth. The power of a true friend. James 5.16 says this, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In this story, right here at the beginning, 
Samson's truest friends were his parents. They stewarded the call of God over his life. They even embraced the same vows that were over his life. And they, they were even available to talk to at the moment of his compromise. See, I think we need to find a friend you feel safe enough to be vulnerable with, to confess things, to, to talk about your character struggles. A true friend is a God seeker who will help you deal with stuff and call you higher into destiny. And they won't sugarcoat the truth. They may hug and smile while they tell you the truth. Oh, honey, you're a moron. You know? That's a true friend. They'll speak truth to you and, and pray for your healing and restoration. And see, part of that healing, like when, as far as confess your sins to one another, you may be healed. See, when we confess those character things, because the, really the issue in James, he's talking about double-mindedness and the way we live towards one another. But it's like confess your character flaws so that you can be healed and restored and take on the mind of Christ, the character of Christ. Amen? When we bring our character to the light, it heals us. You know what? And here's the thing for me. I have an easier time trusting people who are honest about their junk. My trust can go a lot farther with people who are open about their junk. The people who have it all together, going, wait a minute. <laughs> Just saying. Your character tells people if they can trust you. So teenagers, your character tells your parents to loosen or tighten the reins over your life. Don't worry, teenagers, I got a liner for the parents too. Parents, your personal character gives permission to your children's choices. We would like to think it's our words, but it's really our character. And so your character is the prophet of your future. So if that's true, if your character is your prophet, where's your character telling you you're going? Because here's the truth. If we want to build eternally, you need to know that you can never build past what your character can support. Do I need to say that again? That if you, if you want to build eternally, you need to know that you can never really build past what your character can support. that make sense? Our character is the strength of the foundation of our life outside of Christ alone, right? It is our character. So if we're going to walk this ancient path and if we're going to be about planting, 
plant godly character. Let my yes be yes and my no be no. Amen. And we not make promises that we know we probably can't keep. <laughs> Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Amen. Because here's the thing. The calling on your life is too big. It's too great. It's too monumental to not address the character that you need to support it. Amen? Let's all stand. So here's what I want to do. So I would like to have, I would like to encourage us all to have a moment of reflection with the mirror of, well, I'm sorry, or a moment of reflection with the Lord to look into the mirror that he would hold up to us. So I just would like to have just a moment of silence. Just everyone bow your head, close your eyes, and just begin to talk to the Lord about your character. Lord, where is my character today taking me? Will my character support where you want to take me tomorrow? Where's the strength of my character today, Lord? Tune into the Lord. Thank you, Father. And just as a, as a moment of confession and honesty before the Lord, and I would just. If, if God has his finger on a character issue in your life, if he's highlighting something to you right now, will you just slip your hand up real quick? I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm just, I just want to see, see where we're at. He's highlighting a character issue. Thank you for your courage and your honesty. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to pray for you. So, Character is built by one choice of surrender after another. It's a surrender to, his, to the Lord's ways. It's a surrender to the Lord's word. It's a surrender to the embracing of the character of Christ. And so, Lord, I just want to pray, Lord, right now over 
over all these hearts that are gathered here today, Lord. Lord, as we reflect back on this word and, and think about this word, and as you become that mirror to us, Lord, Lord, I just ask God right now for just to surrender in those character areas. Lord, that we wouldn't hold these things before you, but that we, like Jesus in Philippians 2, would take on the form of a servant and humble ourselves. Humble ourselves before you, God, in these areas of our character. And Father, in any place, Lord, where we would say in our heart, Lord, oh, this doesn't matter, or oh, this isn't a big deal. Lord, if you're highlighting it, it's a big deal. And the things that we want to shove off to the side and not really pay attention to in church, but we're going to focus on Monday morning, Lord, I just ask God for the truth of your word and your gospel, Lord, to break through that hardness of heart in those areas, God. Because, Lord, we want to have your character. We want to be a reflection of Jesus to the world. Because as you see, as if we will look into that mirror of reflection and allow the Lord to deal with, with those areas and the mirrors of our life. And what happens is, is then we begin to reflect the glory of God. If we will surrender all of those areas, character compromises, then the picture of Christ becomes more clear in our life. Father, I thank you, Lord, today for each and every heart that is gathered here today. Pray the richest blessings of heaven over every person that is here. And Lord, may the love of God be made more sure in the hearts and minds of all your people here today. Lord, I pray the richest blessings of heaven over your people. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray today. Amen.